So hello, it's been a while. It has. We are gathered here today. <laughs> back, back truly again. Uh, it, is a, it is a less than stellar circumstances. Exactly. These aren't ideal times. It's, it's a sad, sad time for us poets. Mm -hmm. So supposedly a happy new year, but it's not. Because I believe if I can find on December 29th. 2022 i was told i was told that poetry is dead so i i haven't confirmed it uh i've suspected for a while that it was on a downward spiral <laughs> that organs were shutting down but it's it's one thing to think it and it's one thing to know it and it's been confirmed via the new york times by op-ed writer Matthew Walter or Walther and uh yeah there, there it is it's a it's a shock to all us writers out there what have we been doing this whole time just just playing with a corpse apparently <laughs> I've been uh lying in bed uh threw my, all my books away all of them and uh yeah I uh um, you know, like us all, just stunned, shocked. Uh, it's been really hard to cope. Um, Twitter feeds and Facebook is yeah. just, it's just doom scrolling, hearing everybody's thoughts and prayers and, and comments <laughs> and hot takes. That's and right. I actually, uh, I was, <laughs> was going to reread that, um, that guy's, uh, op-ed thing to prepare for today but i yeah. go back and relive it I, I i did i read it this morning and i'm i'm so enthused and i like that he also puts blame on t.s Eliot for it simultaneously uplifts Eliot while kind of blaming him for murdering for, poetry yeah yep. Eliot with that with that headshot just coming in with the wasteland and then just sniped sniped us I was gonna reread it. I was I was gonna reread it, but um, I you know because we did talk about it when it first came out, and yep. uh, you know like I think I had mentioned I don't even know where to put my tissue. Hang on, let me put it. <laughs> um, I did uh I did mention that I I I liked the way it started uh in its commentary about mm -hmm. uh the internet and all this stuff, and I thought it was gonna be like a solid read, and then just became too many white man uh tears too much cryaria i had, <laughs> <laughs> i had to i was like i can't revisit this so um so i'm just going to accept what this guy who i've never heard of has said and uh just you know put the nail in the coffin if it's all right for you michael i'd like to read a poem just in remembrance you know acknowledging um this uh, terrible, terrible loss by the, only really... poet, by the only poet worth reading, which is uh, the great T.S. Eliot. The great late T.S. Eliot. Yes. <clears throat> I'll keep this as brief as possible. <laughs> we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know 
the place for the first time, though, oh, excuse me, through the unknown remembered gate, when the last of earth left to discover is that which the, was the beginning. At the source of the longest river, the voice of the hidden waterfall and the children in the apple tree. Not known because not looked for, but heard, half heard in the stillness between two waves of the sea. Quick now, here, now, always, a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. And all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well when the tongues of flame are enfolded into the crowned knot of fire and the fire and the rose are one. <laughs> uh, amen. Amen, Elliot. Worth reading in the English language. The late yeah. Yes, Elliot. Everyone out there, pour some out for our, our boy, T.S. Eliot. Yep. Mm -hmm. And poetry. May it rest. And poetry. And power. Mm, I, I, just, <laughs> I just heard the news. Condolences <laughs> <laughs> to both this of you. Sad. It is a sad yeah. day for the all of us. Edibles bouquet should be showing up shortly. Walking <laughs> bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, kind. So kind birds like I thought it's been dead for like five centuries now. But... <laughs> Wait, right. I have to take off these glasses because they're uh, making my eyes water. <laughs> okay. Oh gosh. Uh, I, I am as amused by this op-ed as I am the responses. I, I don't know why people are so mad. I, I just don't get it. I don't. It could be dead for all I care. I would still read it and I would still write it. So I don't I don't understand why him saying anything matters to anyone else i don't i just don't get it i don't i don't understand the uproar i guess I, I think there's a couple of things about the uproar which is one it was uh in between christmas and new year's and i think everybody just had nothing else to do <laughs> um, and two i think um kind of i mean everyone's talking about how this idea these op-eds about poetry's dead come out like what like every three to five years or whatever so yeah. that that clickbait uh is kind of you know familiar uh we've all yeah. seen declare that poetry is dead and then you open it up and you read it and it's kind of this i mean i don't know it was a very meandering uh rant um clearly this guy loves t.s Eliot, and that's good fine you know that's all it should have just been like my ode to t.s Eliot, but i don't think anybody would have clicked on that <laughs> yeah it's it just yeah meandering is a great word for it i just there's a lot of like come with me if you will as i explore like i'm just i don't care let us dude. know like, you and i <laughs> <laughs> in my op-ed in the sky you know, I do think it started off strong with the talking about poetry and the internet, which is a is a wonderful conversation to have because mm -hmm. you know poetry may not be in its infancy uh, anymore, but it is still yeah. a bit of a drunken toddler. Um, <laughs> you know, Hooray. just you know, stomping around asking for snacks all the time, just and throwing tantrums. <laughs> <laughs> angrily hitting people <laughs> exactly um and it's you know it's worth contemplating and and having a conversation about how we are um using and utilizing um 
this ever-changing fast-paced world of you know world wide web and um and yeah. that that it's so for that to me it started off strong but obviously like mm -hmm. it like I said before it, I think it lost its thread I think a lot of people have interpreted it as uh we should be one with nature and sort of unplugging and this <laughs> and that and uh and that's kind of an antiquated mm -hmm. uh idea and you know like we mm -hmm. were talking to our one and only friend Clint the other day <laughs> Yay, and he said he brought up a really good point which was like the internet now is is like nature at some you know mm -hmm. like so much unknown territory and uh and things to discover um you know it's a different way to ingest poetry and we have to kind of like come to terms with that a bit but um I don't think it is the death of poetry I think it's just a transitional time for the people like we discussed in our last show who have one leg mm -hmm. in the old you know pre-internet days and the another in and today and so um you know it's it that to me would have been a way more interesting op-ed i think like i mean there's conversations why poetry is at least dying or unhealthy in this country and i think we could talk about mfa and student debt and just a bunch of other stuff, but yeah, this this guy apparently only thinks T.S. Eliot. It's all about Eliot, which is yeah, fine, whatever. I just, well, ah. that turned into a T.S. Eliot like bashing thing too, and <laughs> yeah, like you know, like this, this is not his fault that he got resurrected for this conversation. <laughs> he didn't want to be part of this. No. I'm sassy. It's a new year. It is. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year. And I, don't know, I don't know what you think. Should we call this like a new season? Since Ooh. it's a new year? Should we should we, we should. call it season two? Season two. We've been renewed by <laughs> our sponsors. Yeah. Netflix renewed us for, for a second season. <laughs> That's right. And if you don't know who we are, since we haven't announced it yet, we are Table for Deuce, uh, where we shoot the shit about all things lit, including op-eds about how poetry is dead. Mm -hmm. uh, with me, as always, is Kate Hansen Foster, who I describe as all the parts of Goodwill Hunting, except Matt Damon and the genius part. But all the loud talk, you got that. <laughs> That's you. you. <laughs> Get out of here, you kid. All right. Well, well welcome, Kate Hansen, foster co-host, author of Pro Funeral and Midriff, and all-around amazing person. Despite that intro. And yeah. Well, um, <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'm here with my friend, poet, uh, Michael Schmelzer, author of Blood Song and Empire of Surrender. And when he is not writing, he is no longer on the internet. Yay. Hooray. And so while Michael becomes the Lester Holtz, of himself you're like the anchor man <laughs> i have to go out into the field like a reporter intern <laughs> unknown person and report back to you daily on what's happening on the internet <laughs> i am i am comfortably in the studio while we shove you out into the storms and ask you 
how the weather is. Don't want any part of social media. I am just slowly gonna, I don't even know what happens to poets when they're not on social media. I think I'll just eventually like lose matter and just become a pure being of energy. Just gonna float around in the ether now. You along so, with poetry. Yep. Yeah, just me, exactly. Angel. Me. <laughs> Any anytime you hear someone talk shit about Elliot, I you know, another Michael Schmelzer grows his wings. <laughs> I believe I'm really excited to be back. I think uh, you know, um the break was nice, but I missed this yep. and uh, chit-chatting and stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is a nice thing we got going. I'm happy and excited to get back into the routine. Same. You know, if you want to get right into talking about Caitlin Gildrian's poem today, which uh, was suggested to us to read and discuss and toast or roast. Yes. Should we That's just right. I think we should just go right into it. I'm excited to talk about it. And a weird little tie-in uh, for Christmas, I bought uh, Lydia tickets to Moulin Rouge at the Paramount Theater. They have the stage slash musical version. And it's like her favorite movie, the Baz Luhrmann movie and her favorite movie. And so the, they were touring here. So we got to go see them on stage and they did the whole musical numbers and it was fantastic. It was a lovely night out. And this poem makes reference to Bos Lerman's Romeo and Juliet, which is fun. So yeah. A little tie-in, a little, little, little matter of fate. I feel like we're going in the right direction here. All right. Well, then I'll just read it. All right. You ready? I am. Do we mention that it's on Rattle? I forget if we said I, that. I, I will, I'll say it again when I finish reading, but. Okay. Yeah. Content warning. We mentioned Rattle. <laughs> These Violent Delights Have Violent Ends by Caitlin Gildrian. I don't want to write about California. I don't want to look. Did you know there were two new litters of mountain lions in the Santa Monica Mountains? A mama can only carry one at a time. I don't know why that's the thing that breaks me. It's the world that breaks me. We've broken the world. Just past the tweet that tells me about the kittens is a thread about Romeo and Juliet, the Claire and Leo movie version. And this is what I click through. How I loved that movie, the fish tank, the kissing. I wanted to live in a world like that, a world like this world, except slant, better lighting, better language, how you can understand it best by not listening too closely, I think too much. All the fish in that tank scooped probably from the sea. How the sea is failing. I wanted to love someone until they would die for me. I wanted to be the one they would choose to carry out of that burning world. When the fish stocks fail, when the Amazon tips past the point for which it can compensate with the meager reforestation it is allowed, there should be nicer language for this in a poem. I'm sorry. I just keep thinking about Juliet, who thought the sea was infinite, and so a good metaphor for love. But we're determined to find the bottom of any bounty. They thought this continent was boundless too, and scraped it clean to prove themselves it's better. They. Did you see that storm of smoke, utterly apocalyptic over the highway? It makes a person say, God, God, lift me by the scruff or the throat 
maybe, all of us, maybe, shake hard, be rough with love. And that is from Poets Respond, uh, November uh, 2015, I believe, or maybe... Uh, 2018. 2018, sorry, my thing's cut off. Oh, November 15th, 2018. So Caitlin Gildry and these violent... Violent delights have violent ends. I have not heard of this poet before. Um, and I was, um, you know, um, I was, you know, I, I, I guess I tend to not really like a lot of these sort of, uh, you know, like confessional, not confessional, but like introspective, poems po poets that reference writing poetry I, that is like some weird mm. thing of mine that I uh, is not like <laughs> why am I writing this poem you know like that mm. usually be like when I'm writing um a line that I cut but in this particular uh case this idea of like um you know just sort of like this introspection the self-introspection that's happening about uh you know lots of things in the world forest fire mm -hmm. climate change like all this horrible stuff and being like there's no pretty line for this um and just kind of saying it you know I think it's a, a very human response to crisis like that and mm -hmm. I liked I really love some of these lines um you know I love that line be rough with love um just kind of it's a harsh truth and I loved the reference of choosing between the you know choosing to kind of go down the rabbit hole of Romeo and Juliet <laughs> versus you know this the story about the um the the why am I like losing my the <laughs> losing your mind the <laughs> I wanted to say bobcat um but yeah mm -hmm. the, no but choosing to go down the 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 rabbit hole of of the Romeo and Juliet versus the mountain lions and that to me is so interesting because it it brings up this concept of how the internet really does like juxtapose the mm. mundane and the profound like so directly beside one another that it's almost impossible to really parse uh what is worthwhile and what isn't and what is like great and what is mediocre mm -hmm. and um you know that can go into a big larger conversation about how we treat poetry on the internet and that's not obviously what this poem's about but it brought up that image of how like scrolling through the internet you there's just so much at once and how you pick and choose your own adventure uh in that way <laughs> uh yeah so the poem itself has a few things that normally like like you said, I would kind of steer away from. Uh, I don't make too many pop culture references in my work, even though I am a lover and consumer of pop culture. I don't tend to write about it. Uh, poetry is a different kind of mental realm for me in a lot of ways, though. And this poem does it effectively in a way that's kind of admirable that I kind of want to emulate. Like I love, like you said, that juxtaposition between the kind of trivial and mundane with something profound. And I think they managed to marry those two things so well in this poem. Uh, also, I don't tend to write response poems unless I'm prompted to by someone or you know it's solicited by someone or whatnot. So that's another thing that this poem 
does it's part of the poets respond series and that's another thing that i don't do and i don't necessarily always think can be done very strongly but i thought they did a great job of that as well and there's something about kind of this all-encompassing view that they have or this vision that they have about the internet and twitter and this information that's coming their way that they're able to capture really well just not shutting out the internet not shutting out the world and not shutting out their own point of view and just kind of blending them all in this way that i thought was really interesting and really effective and moving in a lot of ways i love the title which i knew from westworld but is actually from romeo and juliet so i mean there's like these little like little i mean it's a beautiful quote it works so well in the context of the poem i just like their just general overall style where it's not there's something really unique about the way they think and the way they move from thought to thought and it's not flashy and it's not using any like you know million dollar poetry words or anything like that but it's it's just really watching the poet's mind at work you know i don't want to keep referencing back to this you know that op-ed and everything um but this poem is a really great example of how poetry really isn't dead um and part of it is that i think a poet or I don't want to say a poet's job, but I think the maybe like a poet's urge is to examine something that cannot be um, contained or controlled and and sort of putting it into words. And that to me is uh, is what, you know, when you're looking at uh, the devastation of a forest fire, um, and I read the the little um, the on rattle. There's always like those cool little um, instead of like a bio, you get sort of like the poet's perspective. And I think like the poet mm -hmm. mentioned that she like grew up in California and she's looking mm -hmm. uh, back on you know her you know where she grew up and um, and watching this forest fire happen and feels so helpless. And I think that's you know, that's what we do. And that's what people respond to when somebody can so poignantly put into words, this um, thing that we just can't control, we can't really get our hands on. But meanwhile, like she simultaneously uh, kind of embraces or, or reflects upon how we're so steeped in distraction. Um, and, and how, we, you know, how you could choose to block it out and, and click on another, you know, hypertext and go down some other avenue um, of the internet and just, you know, escape it all. Um, and that's fascinating to me in a lot of ways, um, you know, both in a good way and a bad way. Mm -hmm. You know, she sort of owns up to it that it's like, I'm watching this happen and I feel broken over it. Uh, you know, she feels, you know, that line, like, you know, especially this, you know, sympathizing with the mountain lions and, you know, this idea that they may not, the mother may only be able to save just one. Um, and that's mm -hmm. the thing that breaks her. And, you know, but then just pivoting and saying like, we have broken the world and it's just, oh, like it just like, and it's really, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great to the point it's a truthful poem 
you know, it is a, it is a confessional poem and uh, it's, I think just very much uh, vulnerable and, uh, and just sort of, you know, it, it, it's poetic without, with being like, it's poetic by being non-poetic. Like it's like an anti-poem, but it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'd be like, just kind of being like, there should be nicer language for this, but like, fuck it. I just mm-hmm. can't do it, you know, because it wouldn't work. You know, how do you make such a beautiful metaphor for a burning forest fire? But- yeah, I think, so I think the poem works in ways that it's almost, it's almost victorious by means of failure. It's like citing out all these things that are kind of failures of the world or the poet uh, herself. It's like, I don't wanna write about California. I don't wanna look. It's like admitting these flaws and admitting that we've broken the world and it's the world that breaks me. There's all these moments where I think of as failure as this kind of propelling force throughout this poem. I mean, and I mean, Romeo and Juliet, the classic kind of, doomed failed romance right and it has all these things about being like when the fish stock fail and you know can't reforest the amazon and all these things are just this point of kind of no return mm-hmm. and it's like how how do you kind of deal with that how do you deal with that in writing and like you said it's not a matter of covering it up with immense lyricism and sometimes it's just saying these things pretty pretty plainly i I want to uh, talk a little bit about the ending. I'm really curious. I, I love the the stanza right above the last line here. They thought this continent was boundless too and scraped it clean to prove themselves or prove themselves it's better they. Just that single they all by itself. Um, it always made me feel like it was this kind of not like smirk or anything like that, but it was very much like we can convince ourselves that we are not part of the problem while simultaneously like, you know, that there's that sense of that for me. And I'm not sure um, if you got the same sense, but it definitely, for me, feels like the author understands their complicit like nature of just being in this world and using resources and like just that sense of, could we do more? Or how can we do more? Is it even, is there even a point to doing more at this stage of, decline yeah i mean i teeter-totter on on that line um because there is a little bit of um lack of ownership not that you know where there's the current i guess how we view things now um the more acceptable line i think would be uh you know i'm guessing this is a white woman uh i'm assuming it this is a white woman, you know, the more, the more acceptable line, I think would be, we thought this continent was boundless too. sort of taking ownership for being, you know, a part of this, you live here, you know, uh, your ancestors are here, that kind of thing. It's a detachment from the we, which would be, I think the, the, the general, uh, I don't know, maybe I think that that would be kind of, if if I were writing, I'd be like, oh yeah, we thought this continent, um, but the way she really detaches herself and says, they thought this continent was boundless too and scraped it clean to prove themselves it's better, they. Like it was, it's like she wants to make sure that 
it is obvious that she chose they for a reason that she does not feel as though like she is a contributing part of that um and so I have mixed feelings I mean I can see I mean I feel lots of things um helpless things helpless feelings about things that may have happened in the past that obviously I did not contribute to but also you know have to take a little bit of ownership of my own life and that the they you know um Mm -hmm is why I'm here today is what, you know, is, is why I live my life. You know, um, I can't deny that. I can't say that the, they is, didn't build up a sort of, uh, infrastructure that I benefit from. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it feels a little bit too detached. For, for me, the impression is throughout the poem, you have this kind of back and forth between I, we, and they. So you have like the, I don't want to write about California. I don't want to look. And then it's, uh, it's the world that breaks me. And then we've broken the world. And then it keeps kind of going back and forth and then goes on the Romeo and Juliet stanza. And then how can you understand it or how you can understand it best by not listening too closely, I feel like is a really interesting and important line. In a way, I think there is a way to pummel someone with facts where they will shut down. And I think that happens a lot, especially in talks about kind of uh, climate change and the global kind of a status or global, whatever you want to call it, health in that realm. It seems like there's a lot of doom and gloom and a lot of like, you know, by 2050, we're all going to be dead or it's going to be overpopulated. There won't be enough food and it feels hopeless. So I think there's a lot of that like if we just try not to listen too closely as it states I think it's easier to understand than if we just really literally listen to everything I think it just shuts humans down I don't think there's a way to kind of bypass that so I think there's a lot of this kind of happening in the poem which is trying to understand or comprehend the world in a way that isn't shutting down the person who is trying to observe because there's already the admission that they don't want to look and there's the admission that the world's broken them. And there's the apology before, I'm sorry, I just keep thinking of Juliet. And I think there's, there is that sense for me of ownership because it's, there's the, we've determined, or we're determined to find the bottom of any bounty and then it switches to they. And it g- gives me a little bit of, um, you know, the lady doth protest too much type of feeling in that Shakespearean sense where it's like, there's a lot of like, okay, they did this, they, and then separating out the they like that makes me think that emphasis is just too much. Like they're aware of their own thing and they're trying to maybe distance themselves to alleviate a little bit of the guilt perhaps. And then it kind of culminates in that last line where, or the last few lines where it's talking about God and then you know, lift me by the scruff or the throat maybe, all of us maybe. And I love that maybe there, the uncertainty of like who is responsible maybe it's everyone maybe not like that idea of like who who is actually in charge of this who can do anything to help and i just well sort of that that sort of you know lift some by the scruff scruff some Mm -hmm. by the throat you know um kind of like Mm -hmm. picking and choosing like you know you fucked up you are saved you wonder I don't know it just it makes you wonder exactly um 
you know, I'd love to know what the the meaning behind that that really just heavy they. Um, mm -hmm. I think we, if we could go in all sorts of circles about it, like whether it's you know passing the buck, uh, like or like dodging mm -hmm. uh, responsibility, that kind of thing, um, or if it's just condemning uh history and how we got to this point which is valid as well it, it you could feel the weight of that they mm -hmm. like it's heavy it lands heavy it reads heavy yep. it's full of disdain and and disgust it's just like they like comes in my head as i read it at the end of the day it's when it comes to uh you know is poetry dead um or even is the internet uh ruining poetry uh is the way we consume poetry uh dimming the quality of it um uh as far as i'm concerned language is always going to prevail and in this particular poem uh even though it's not it, you know it, it it's almost anti-language anti-lyrical and in a lot of ways and it's blunt lines um and it's sort of like anti-poetic lines i think it still contains the language that moves us um and i you know i i definitely felt um I felt it <laughs> Jake hard be rough with love it's like you know I mean obviously I, I took it as like that we all maybe need a little tough love lesson in terms mm -hmm. of like where we're going with our lives where we're going with the climate where you know um and maybe even where we're going on how she owns her own distraction from it her own willingness to block out um hard truths and mm -hmm. um that she kind of is is almost admitting that maybe she needs that shake too or maybe she's the one doing the shaking it's you know it's it's kind of it can go in all directions as far as I'm concerned yeah I agree I I do get the sense that it's like a wake-up call it feels like and I guess what I really like about the poem, and I, I tried to articulate it earlier, is that I like the sense of alarm in this poem without it being an alarmist poem. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I was trying to state when I was saying how you can understand it best by not listening too closely. That line feels exactly what like it's trying to do is that this poem is saying some very important things without needing to be overly soapboxy or preachy about it. I think the way they just blend in, like you said, this almost kind of anti-poetry, anti-lyrical kind of statements. I mean, the the line just past the tweet that tells me about the kittens is a thread about Romeo and Juliet. I mean, that's just packed with like just modern, modern day kind of tech and pop culture references. And it is one that works just so well and one that really? I would never have written in a million years. Yes. I, you know, I had a little trouble on some of like some of it felt I, I struggled to even read it. Um just there's a lot of 
syntactical uh mm. confusion i guess um you know like i i felt like i was okay end of sentence you know um yeah. And then you get to like the part where it's like where the fish stocks fail when the Amazon tips past the point for which it can compensate with a meager reforestation. It is allowed. It, I mean, that is a long mm -hmm. sentence. Um, and it's, it's, and it's not even a sentence really. I mean, it just stops there with like the M dash and, mm -hmm. like, and kind of cuts it off. So it's like, I like it and I don't like it. And so, you know, it's it's hard to read. It's a little bit like, like I stumbled over it. I almost didn't have enough breath for that sentence to mm -hmm. read aloud. And then it just, um, but then like the ownership of it, of just being like, forget it. <laughs> so this line, they thought this continent was boundless too and scraped it clean to prove themselves it's better. Mm -hmm. Can you explain me that line, please? <laughs> like, how do you take it out? Like, so, prove themselves. Yeah. It's better. It's not, it, it's, it's better. It's not, it is better. Almost it's supposed to be, it is better. Or it's a little, that one, that line's a little confusing to me. What do you think? Um, I think at least the way I read it was, the it's almost like um so in you know having been raised a private catholic school child you understand the whole like uh man quote unquote man was given dominion over the birds and the sea or whatever the whatever that line is i forget i can't quite <laughs> I, birds it. birds in the sea and the, 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 but, but basically like you know uh, god gave Adam and Eve like dominion over the world basically right over the creatures and all that so I think it's uh somewhat that kind of sense of to prove that basically humanity or corporations or CEOs whoever you want to say that they were better so it's basically like they were able to just take advantage or ravage the land or basically use everything up because they were better than it was like they had a higher purpose or a higher calling or whatever it may be so I think the kind of in a very poetic way of saying just they were terrible colonists or users or that kind of thing is what I tend to get out of that line meaning like so, it's better it's better to scrape it clean than to to think that it's boundless uh, um yeah per, oh yeah i maybe there's no apostrophe so it's like it, it's i don't know if that's just a typo it's possible but uh, you know they thought this continent was boundless too and scraped it clean to prove themselves it's better so if it was like it's better if, if it if the if the idea being like it's better to scrape it clean uh, them to live in a boundless world. Uh, I don't think that that, uh, you know, that could be it. I don't, I don't know. It, it's just that line is hard. I love this idea of like, you know, they thought this continent was boundless too. And obviously it's not, you know, and that is mm -hmm. uh, harsh reality. And um, 
but I don't know if the line fulfills its intention. Uh, I think probably if this poem went through like another edit, that maybe there would be something to clarify exactly what the poet's trying to say here, but. But yeah, some of the language is uh, syntactically very interesting. There's a lot of like confessional moments that I enjoy this yeah. <laughs> that are just like, yep, I'm sorry, or, you know, don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. And I just, that can sometimes fail in a poem, but I think they did it well. Yeah. I mean, even and that think... line that I said that was a little rambly, the one that mm -hmm. I lost breath almost in reading it, mm -hmm. when the fish stocks fail, when the Amazon tips past the point for which it can compensate for the meager reforestation it is allowed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then by just being like, there should be nicer language for this poem. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, like those two <laughs> lines juxtaposed together is great, I think. Mm -hmm. um, it, which it almost saves, it sort of saves that sort of, you know, breathlessness that is kind of like, I think, relevant uh, when it mm -hmm. comes to panic and uh, and feeling like, you know, there's just no control over what's happening and you're trying to explain this feeling of hopelessness and it's just like you just cut it off and say um you know I'm sorry she has a really great way of making up for those um those weird little things um syntactical whether they might be errors or just kind of random runoff uh mm -hmm. lines um I think she does a good job of saving it in a way mm -hmm. uh, but yeah yeah. yeah, I agree. There's there's a way where you could just make this poem so overly lyrical and use language that is too nice, but it would defeat the point. I think I love that they, like, I mean, meager reforestation is not a very pleasant sounding phrase, <laughs> but I love that they used it. And like you said, they they balance it out by acknowledging that. And I... I think poets can hide behind lyricism in the same way that, you know, some poets can hide behind just like fancy words to compensate for lack of true intellectual thought or profound ideas. And I don't think this poet has any issue with that as far as there's no need to hide. I think their mind is working in such a unique and fascinating way that I think overly lyrical lines would do the poem an injustice it's basically I, I don't even know it's like you know when someone dresses up real fancy but they're just a horrible person I feel like <laughs> I say that dressed <laughs> I, feel I don't a know little, what you're talking uh, about <laughs> how dare you the poet declares right off the bat I don't want to write about this I don't want to do it um and that is just kind of like, it just puts the fine point on it. Like, I don't want to mm -hmm. do it, but I have an urgency to like something bigger is making me do it. And that mm -hmm. is why poetry is not dead, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. But should it be dead? Let's let's tackle that on the next show. But should it be dead? Should we kill it? <laughs> yeah, like how, yeah, next show. How do we actually murder poetry? So let's say I wanted to kill it. If yeah. you have a suggestion, please email me.
but yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and you bring up really great points uh, in terms of just, you know, that this, there is a, uh, a certain, I think, uh, common thought right now that to write good poetry is to be lyrically superior uh, to other forms of poetry and that it has to have that sort of tasty twist of words uh, that delight us. Um, but does it, but do those types of poems really get down to the truth of things, whether it's a personal truth or a global truth or, you know, whatever it, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that this one, you know, I, I keep calling this a confessional poem. Maybe somebody might disagree with me, but I think this poem is, is so much confessing its inability to achieve um, any of it, that it almost, mm -hmm. That it almost, you know, ironically gets to the point of what we can all relate to. Yeah. All right. I think do you do you feel ready? Do you feel ready to cast our toast or roast on this one? I think so. Yeah, I think so. All right. I'll uh, I'll go first since uh I picked this one out of Jory's pile that he sent us. Mm -hmm. Um and I, you know, I don't want to go too far back down the road we already traveled um, to say, you know, um, there's, you know, obviously I brought up some lines that were a little weird to me. Uh, I don't want to just be redundant is all. And so mm -hmm. I, you know, yes, there are some, there are some weird lines. I felt syntactically, it was a little hard to read. I stumbled a little bit on that. Um, but I, uh, the overall picture and um, even though I, like I said at the beginning, I don't, I really don't like when poets write about writing poems. I don't like when poets write about poetry in their poems. I, that's something I just, it just feels like uh, it should be removed at some point in an editing process. Uh, however, the overall theme of this poem, the intent, the impact, uh, all of it, I think is very successful. I'm not surprised um, that, you know, it got picked up in Rattle. Um, and I love the last line. It, it really felt, you know, that desperation that take me by the throat or take me by the scruff, just take me. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I just loved it. I just loved it. And uh, so I mm -hmm. toast this poem for sure. Toast it. I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah, so my vote. So I, I was captivated right off the bat by the title. Um, I liked how they began. It was kind of surprising. Um, they do so many things that I personally choose not to do in my own writing, but they do it so well that it makes me want to imitate it and try it. Like their ability to just put together what they're thinking and what they're consuming all together in one poem in such a smart yet organic kind of almost stream of consciousness but definitely crafted way it's just so good and I despite the fact that there might be a little line here and there that like you said it can kind of stumble on the mouth a little bit or it's a little clunky here and there there's nothing in it that makes me feel like there were trying 
too hard or that they were trying to write a poem per se. It just really feels like I am in this poet's head and I'm with them while they're thinking through these things and consuming these things and looking at different stories. And I just, I like that about this poem and I like that about a lot of the poems I read is that it's a glimpse into how a brain and a mind is processing events and how they are experiencing the world. And I think that is such a humanizing thing. And I think if any person is needing to feel something about the environment or needing to feel something about another person or whatnot, I think poems like this are the thing to do it. It's very humanizing and it takes these concerns and ideas and puts them in a way that is accessible and moving. And so I happily toast this poem. I think it is so good. And I think the poet is such a smart and really just fantastic writer. And I'm so sad that I this is the first poem I've read from them, but I will definitely be keeping an eye out for that name as often as I can find it. So you know this was a perfect, perfect poem to to sort of um revive you know to bring out the defibrillator <laughs> on poetry <laughs> um so that we you know to see how it it truly is still alive mm -hmm. um in the sense that we need we just need it we need a way to verbalize our um our perspectives and also you know the internet is a complicated place you know trash mm -hmm definitely overtakes treasure I think when you're in it uh and it's hard to sort of parse through all of that and find something good within it or even find meaningful poetry um but I think it's worthwhile to mention that not only you know is this a great poem but um by finding it on the internet, uh, it also came with the ability to listen to the poet. You know, she had, there's a recording mm -hmm. attached to, you know, I'll post the link in the notes, um, but a reading of it as well. And so, you know, we do approach like whether or not this op-ed has just a huge problem, you know, this guy had a huge problem with the internet destroying, uh, you know, our inability or our ability to to have you know sort of that quiet introspection of reading absorbing poetry of writing poetry that we have to be 100% disconnected um and i can relate to that in a lot of ways obviously you know you uh, disconnecting from mm -hmm. social media can relate to that but i do think that there is something to be said for especially with this poem directly referencing um, the diversion of choosing the diversion of going down a different path and and kind of writing about it and and examining that and I I can't think of another poem off the top of my head that really puts into words so wonderfully like she does that says mm -hmm. you know like I traveled I went down this hole instead of mm -hmm. watching California burn and um and owning it and kind of showing mm -hmm. um a bit how the internet is involved in our lives, which we just, unfortunately, or fortunately, have to just accept. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things I've been thinking about what you said is there are poems that kind of deal with, that tackle the internet or social media in a different way. And I think any of the ones that I've read, I can't recall a specific one, but they do it in kind of a cutesy, kitschy way. 
where it doesn't take the matter seriously. It's, it seems like these extremes where you either deal with it in this kind of kind of light way or you deal with it in this very, it's all negative kind of way. There's these binaries. And I think what this poet does so well is to acknowledge its existence and role in the poet's own life in a way, but not dwell on whether it's good or bad. It's just kind of how it is. And I really like that. There isn't necessarily a huge judgment on it. And it's like just acknowledging that this is part of our environment now. This is part of our world. And like you said, it's going to be here. I don't think there's going to be a time where tech won't be around unless there's a giant apocalyptic event of some sort. But for now, we are where we are with it. The poet's ability to incorporate technology, social media, and its effect without being too judgmental about it and just acknowledging it is great. And I think it's such an oversimplification to say like the internet ruined the poetry or social media ruined the poetry. I mean, I like to say that a lot, but it's not true. It's just a very simplified version of the story. But if there are minds like this poets at work, like poetry won't ever die, no matter what medium comes in our way. Like Caitlin Gildren, you are fantastic. So please keep writing and please like just keep us updated on your life and poetry because this is this is great stuff. I agree. All right. So now I am excited. I have a poem for next time. And I wanted to take a deep dive into some small journal or a smaller journal than Rattle for sure. And a poet that I'm not sure if you've heard of. Have you heard of the poet Jameson Crabtree? Mm -hmm. nope. Fantastic. So I am looking at a poem uh, called A Manual for All of Your Collisions. And it's in the online journal Cartridge Lit. And this is a journal dedicated to work inspired by video games. So I am, I have been very much geeking out to video games as of late. I've always been a gamer. It's not something I really talk about too much, but oh, I love them. And I've been really obsessed with this one game in particular. So I wanted to bring up this journal and this poet. And like I said, everything on this site is dedicated to, or is inspired by in some way a video game. So Interesting. Um, yeah, so I wanted to kind of transition from the idea of tech and social media to technology in a different way and dealing with more what would be considered pop culture or hobbyist type of things, but and what you can do with that and how you can incorporate it into poetry. But a manual for all of your collisions by Jameson Crabtree over at cartridgelit.com. And this is back from June of 2015. Cool. And we'll have a link up and have you all set up with that so you can read this poem and weigh in on it. And if you have any opinions on these violent delights have violent ends by Caitlin Gildrian, uh, please let us know. You can email us at tableforduce at gmail.com and any or like make a comment on the video once we have it uploaded. And whoever does comments, uh, the first person to comment can have a free copy of Jory Mickelson's full-length Wilderness Kingdom, which is a brilliant book. It is a lovely, lyrical, lush work by Jory. Um, and I had the pleasure of editing it and working with them. So I, I can personally say it is one of my favorite debuts so you should definitely read it so definitely comment or email us so that you can get yourself a copy absolutely yeah Yay. cool All right. um, gaming poetry is not something i expected so. no 
exactly. We'll right see. <laughs> I am I am excited. This journal is uh, just it's such a like little little market. I imagine I can't imagine there is a huge following of people that need to read poetry based on video games or inspired by video <laughs> games. I feel like maybe it's like me and five other people, but I'm in it. I'm ready for it. All right. So. I'll have to. Uh, I can't wait to read it. So send me the link and we'll we'll go we'll go for it. All right. And we'll tackle that. So all right, everybody, thank you very much. Uh subscribe, uh, share, spread the word about Table for Deuce if you like what we do. Uh if not, uh definitely send us awesome crit like horrible critical emails, which we'd love to read <laughs> and all that. And join us, uh, send us flowers in mourning for poetry as shout out, shout out to poetry. You served us well. Sorry you had to go out like that. Sorry, T.S. Eliot took you out, just took it as far as he could and then left us with nothing. <laughs>